Alrighty, everyone. Welcome back to the Rare Petro Podcast. As always, it is myself, Tavis Killian, here with another episode of Monday Madness on January 25th, 2021. Now, for those of you who are listening from the U.S. and Canada, I think this episode will be of particular interest as most of the news I would like to get into surrounds the Biden administration's recent orders. It's been a tumultuous week for so many sectors as sweeping changes rocket throughout the U.S., but I'll shut my trap to avoid spoiling anything fun. You know how we begin this podcast with metrics, so let's hop right in. WTI prices are sitting at a healthy 5208 as I wrote for this article. No unreasonable price shocks as a result of Biden's new policies, but the near future could result in a completely different story. If this two-month moratorium is only for two months, I could see slight increases in price as a result of decreased drilling activity, but nothing incredible as it is only for 60 days. Now, if you have no idea what two-month moratorium I'm talking about, stick around as we will definitely get into that in later in the podcast, but if this turns into a permanent policy, oil prices will likely increase, but the industry will shrivel up and suffer within the United States. After last year, there was no significant expansion on U.S. oil reserves and gas reserves were slightly depleted, so while it was a terrible year for EMP, that does not bode well when paired with a drilling ban. We will definitely get into this more later but know that the prices are sitting in the mid-51s to low-52 territory and remain healthy for the near future. Thankfully, the rig count remains largely unaffected as of the report released from Baker Hughes on January 22nd. Overall, up five rigs, which is on par with what we've observed for the past couple of months. Standard things going on, but now there's also a single rig back in the Barnet Shale, so congratulations to them. Now, you may be likely predicting that next week's report will show a nosedive, but we may perform a little bit better than you would expect. While the recent moratorium will prevent new rigs from going up on public lands, many companies have been applying for permits to drill for quite some time since before even this presidency was shifted. So they fully expected something like this to be implemented and wanted to permit as much as they could, as far as they could into the future in order to pad themselves from the gauntlet of Biden. That being said, don't misinterpret my words and expect another 15 rig increase. All I'm saying is that it may not be as bad for the rig count as we might expect. And of course, lastly, the inventory reports. Now that the holidays have passed, there has been a significant decrease in travel once again and economic activity, but how does that bode for the U.S.'s inventories? Well, the API claimed a 2.5 million barrel build on the report released on the 20th, and the EIA released their report two days later claiming a 4.4 million barrel build. Forecasts for both agencies were only slightly negative, but this was bound to come sooner or later. We've been drawing down for quite some time, and the metrics had been absolutely phenomenal for the past couple of months. Don't get me wrong, I'm happy to see a small rig increase and sustain $50 prices, but it does feel all of these wonderful things have been soured in the past week or so, thanks to recent political policies. And speaking of those policies, I'd like to serve you up the appetizer of this week's stories. Well, I say stories as if there's several, but really we're focusing on two specifically. And I believe last week we talked about how TC Energy the company responsible for the Keystone Pipeline and more than $7 billion worth of investment put towards it, they promised to incorporate green energy in a way that would allow the pipeline to operate emission-free by 2030. Unfortunately, the attempt at compromise fell on deaf ears as Biden spent his first few days in office rolling back lots of policies and changes from the Trump administration and even before then. Biden said, quote, Leaving the Keystone XL pipeline permit in place would not be consistent with my administration's economic and climate imperatives, end quote. This meant that almost 1,000 union jobs both sides of the border were terminated as there was no reason to follow through with the development of this project. 
Alberta is considered the heart of Canada's oil and gas activity, and the region was rather unpleased with the U.S.'s decision to halt the project, claiming that not only will jobs in both countries be lost, but this decision would increase the U.S.'s Gulf Coast dependence on OPEC imports, more specifically importing oil from the OPEC-producing countries rather than just directly north from our neighbors. Quote, this is a gut punch for the Canadian and Alberta economies. Sadly, it is an insult directed at the United States' most important ally and trading partner on day one of a new administration, end quote, Alberta Premier Jason Kenney said on Wednesday. Kenney also said that if Canada's government was not going to act on the matter at a federal level, the province would be ready to defend itself in court. I understand Biden was not stoked on the pipeline in general, but shutting down the entire project does affect more than just the United States. This was a project that had the benefit of, well, potential benefit, of more jobs, increased relations, and increased North American energy independence. I wonder where this will proceed, if in any way at all. Next up, the main course, the 60-day moratorium on energy development on public lands. If you haven't heard about this yet, you'd better buckle up because this is going to be a doozy of a ride, and it probably will take the better part of this episode to get through. So, while this could serve as an opportunity to overhaul decades of old permitting policies, some are worried about the severe economic shocks. Of course, there's a cause and many effects, and I'd like to take this time to highlight some of those effects. And I think Kathleen Scamma with Western Energy Alliance said it best, quote, This is a sacrifice of real people's livelihoods, and it does nothing for climate change. If we don't produce oil and gas in the West, it gets produced somewhere else, and if it comes from overseas, it has even more climate change impact. End quote. As it stands, the BLM has 26.3 million acres leased oil and gas operators, with 2.5 million of those being in Rare Petro's home state of Colorado. Not only is the operation halted, but so is the funding for conservation projects. What? <laughs> what could that possibly mean? Well, let me break it down for you. Even though 2020 was a terrible year for oil and gas, it generated hundreds of millions for the Treasury, and that Treasury distributed $524 million into the Land and Water Conservation Fund. That fund has received more than $20 billion in the last 50 years, much thanks to oil and gas operations. And last year, the Great American Outdoors Act directed an additional $900 million from oil and gas into the fund every year. That's nearly a billion dollars every year. Can't generate oil and gas revenues if operations are halted, and that has proven to hurt conservation funds. Consider state revenues alone. A study last month by University of Wyoming energy economic professor Timothy Constantine estimated across eight states, mainly those in the West producing oil and gas, tax revenue losses of $2 billion a year through 2024 under a drilling ban. By 2040, Constantine concluded, the nation's gross domestic product would decline by $670.5 billion, and job losses would exceed 351000 a year across those eight states. This ban is a huge threat to the West. Even some Native Americans have expressed their distaste towards the ban. The Ute tribe of Utah's Uinta and Ure reservations asked the Secretary of the Interior to exempt their tribes, saying, quote, Your order is a direct attack on our economy, sovereignty, and our right to self-determination. And next, national parks. 2020 left many government organizations heavily underfunded, and delays on projects were not uncommon. The Great American Outdoors Act is supposed to direct up to $1.3 billion in fees collected from the energy producers on BLM land towards maintenance backlogs on National Park Service and National Forest Service lands. So basically the solution was, in order to help out a lot of these national parks, more uh, revenue taxes from oil and gas would be directed towards these funds to fund their projects. I personally love outdoor recreation. I mean, camping, backpacking, snowboarding, climbing, so many other things that I like to do 
That could not be done in states like Iowa, where I'm from. In Colorado, 12 of the Park Service's properties have $238.2 million in delayed projects, led by $78 million in the Rocky Mountain National Park alone. Tourism brings in millions of dollars, but how do we expect that to continue if our parks remain underfunded and understaffed? I hate to say it, but although oil and gas is often attributed to threatening the environment, I think the Biden administration so far has been doing a better job just in the first few days that are, they've been in office, which uh, really I'm not happy to say. I hope that this is a time period where permitting is revamped as quickly as possible so we can get back on track to funding our communities, wilderness areas, and demand for energy. There's going to be lots of pushback if this is the beginning of a longer federal ban. I mean, look at New Mexico. Over 60% of the state's revenue is generated from oil and gas operations. Many people might look at that and say, well, New Mexico should start to build their economies around something else. Maybe, but there isn't a lot out there. I mean, it's a desert for crying out loud. Too often we forget that man does not coexist with nature. We are actually subservient to it. We are struggling to live through it. Our ability to harness and transfer dense forms of energy has allowed food production to support our entire country. It has decreased mortality rates as we can better shield ourselves from the environment. I mean, hell, I was just at Vail over the weekend and th that environment was just not designed to accommodate human life. But thankfully, our use of oil and gas and other energy forms has enabled vehicles to reach those locations with food and goods to support a new community and microeconomy based around, well, just fun, recreation at those resorts. Every one of those buildings was heated and comfortable, but we forget that these things are luxuries. The vaccine would struggle to be effectively transported without the use of oil and gas products. I'm really, I'm sorry to get on this tangent. I really like to present facts, not my feelings on a situation. It's just that the idea of shutting down domestic production and celebrating being oil-free means other countries will pick up the slack. There are several parties out there that don't care about carbon emissions and produce energy in far dirtier ways. Then we import it back into the U.S. as we have selfishly, yes, I'll say it, selfishly pushed the burden to another country and celebrate our victory in the name of altruism. Yes, we should push towards more renewable energy in the future, but that is a future that still coexists with oil and gas. Maybe it's just because I'm an engineer, but the logistics should support the claims of clean energy, not our goodwill alone. I am excited to see how we get through this energy transition, because it is a transition. We are going to move away from oil and gas to some extent, but we need to work together to make sure these policies are supported by our hearts and our minds. Our hearts can't be in the right place alone. Perhaps I've gotten a little too political today, and for that, I apologize. I just wanted to highlight what a temporary ban like this actually means, what some of the implications might be, and how some people are responding to it. Let me know if you think I've missed anything, or if I'm being straight up ignorant of the environment and climate. You can do that by leaving reviews, contacting me directly at podcastrarepetro.com, or on LinkedIn. Share this podcast with someone as it is sure to generate some pretty good conversation, and be sure to subscribe to the podcast because Kevin... I mean, I've presented a, a good bird's eye view of the situation, but Kevin's definitely going to dive into a lot more of the details with these uh, new Biden policies. So that is all I had. And until I see you next time, hey, take care, everybody.